Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Uh, able to, to sing with gusto. Let me tell you what, what an encouragement it was to be out in the hallway and listen to you open in worship this morning. I, I, again, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, that this was probably, this was the largest attendance. This is, this probably is the largest now. Uh, yet at the same time, the voice in which you honored the king today. Just what an encouragement it was to hear that praise given to our Redeemer. Uh, Family, I I also want you to know that what you sing is important. And in one of the songs, there was a literary expression. And I wanted you to know is, do you know what you sang? It says, my anchor holds within the veil. Do do, Do you understand that that goes back to the Old Testament? And when you went into the Holy of Holies, it was stopped by the curtain. You could not go past the veil. And there inside was where God resided in, in the Holy of Holies, above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant. And so what the songwriter is trying to express is, you're in my relationship with God is so wonderful and so complete and, and so permanent that he is anchored in an unmovable way within the veil. And so as he's trying to express himself in a literary way, um, he's doing that, and some of us might miss it. But the literary expressions we have in Scripture are pretty significant because God's trying to use ideas that might be from our everyday life and then express them in ways that we can see them. Paul did it all the time. Remember when we put on the whole armor of God? Well, the military would have been walking around in the city all the time. So all Paul is doing is looking out the window and going, oh, put on the belt of truth. Oh, he should have the shield of faith. And on using these expressions to bring our understanding of scriptural ideas into everyday life. And we're going to see another one of those today in Hebrews chapter 2, or Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, but it's one that, that, in fairness, I have to be fair with you, I do not connect with. It's running. So that's why my sermon is entitled Winning Walk. So, you know, I'm just, I, I'm not going to connect with it, but yet it is a, just an incredible passage of Scripture, two verses that might be 
some of the most inspiring and exciting that are found anywhere in Scripture. And so wonderful they are, at least to me personally, that the, the, the sermon's expectations has shrunk considerably. And we'll get verse 1, where the goal was at least to get through verse 2. So uh, it won't happen, but again, what an, uh, an inspiring sense of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, I would love you to, to, to be able to look at them so that you may be able to maybe come back to it throughout this week and engage yourselves in uh, further, further conversation with your, your mate, your roommates, uh, and how this may work. So again, I want to come to you, and we're going to read these first two together. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings to so, uh, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So again, I want you to see in this, this first of our breakdowns the people who motivate me to walk. The people who motivate me to walk. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The of this verse is the word cloud. Everything hinges uh, in this word. In the Greek language, there are two words for cloud. One is if you would walk outside and go from horizon to horizon, you have one fluffy cumulus cloud. That classic big cottony ball that's up in the sky. All right? That's one of the words. This word, however, is not that word. And it's found only here in all of the Bible. And the idea behind this cloud is now walk outside. From horizon to horizon, north, south, east, and west, the cloud is so complete that though you might see a mass of small balls, they are so condensed, so hacked, that it is a singular cloud from horizon to horizon. And he says here, that you and I are being watched, witnessed by that kind of cloud of witnesses that would go all the way back to the character of Abel if we use Hebrews chapter 11 as the foundation of where we're going. Hebrews began right in the beginning to teach us what faith is and he uses the character of Abel. So, the idea is, is Old Testament saints are watching how this plays out. And now for you and I, 2,000 years later, if you can imagine, the 2,000 years of New Testament saints that have now passed away, are having the privilege of 
watching you. Here's the question. Is this real or is this literary? Many, many Bible teachers are going to tell you, no, this isn't real. This is literary. And their idea is this. There's so many things going on up in heaven that are more exciting than what goes on here that they're not looking down on earth. I want to tend to disagree. So I'm not telling you that this is a 24-hour, seven-day show, but the idea is they're aware. And the reason I say that is this. It's three pieces of information. First off, we are front-page news. You right now are front-page news to the unfolding gospel claim to the historical perspective of the universe. Nothing God is doing now to reveal and to proclaim His glory of greater significance than the work of kingdom here on planet earth right now so from creation to recreation you and i are ground zero you and i get a chance to express the work of jesus christ here on the planet and from china to the united states to north and south korea to afghanistan iran iraq israel itself we're seeing God's plan worked out on planet Earth, done so with the zenith of expression, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the culmination of all Old Testament truth, the fruition of all New Testament truth, beginning and ending with world history. God's glory is being unfolded right here, right now. So forgive me, if you will, why wouldn't heaven want to be looking over and checking in on us? All right? So mine's just the opposite, and, and I obviously I'm, I don't stand alone. So this is ground zero. This is front page news. We have the hint of that within the Gospels. Jesus says, when everyone, anyone is redeemed, the angels rejoice. Do you remember? So first and foremost, they're responding that God, in his infinite wisdom, in the power to, to accomplish what he says, is seeing the achievement of the Lamb's book of life being played out in the world. And so as they rejoice at the decision of the individual to follow Christ, they are also proclaiming the glory of God, having decided that decision within eternity past, and they rejoice. If I took you to Revelation, in Revelation, the fifth seal found in Revelation chapter 6 is given to us, and it says this, after they had been martyred and in heaven, they ask the Lord, how long? How long? How long is this going to go on? When will we be avenged? So the idea is, as the angels participate in Revelation, the martyrs are in participation. I am suggesting to you that there is nothing in eternity 
going on more important than the development of God's kingdom here on earth right now? Why wouldn't they be aware? Why wouldn't they be aware? Wouldn't Moses, who sat up on Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments, knowing that there was something greater, creating the covenant that established a relationship between our God and my people, why wouldn't Moses want to see how that comes out in the end? Forgive me, but that's like you and I watching a movie and, and stopping halfway through it. Ah, I don't want to see how that ends, even though I'm very excited about it. Doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't the judges, why wouldn't King David, who was promised that his kingdom would go on forever, he would be a descendant of the Messiah. Why wouldn't King David want to see this played out? So family, what a privilege it is that we have a chance to see it. And what I want you to be aware of is we find in chapter 11 kind of what we refer to as the Hall of Fame. And yet if we believe the statement, the cloud of witnesses that go from horizon to horizon, it's going something far beyond. And what I want you to be aware of is the, the men that we call the Hall of Fame, let's think that through for a minute, all right? Let, let me pick just a couple of the characters. Barak is mentioned, one of the Old Testament judges. Family, Barak refused to go to war unless the female prophetess went with him. Now, on one level, you and I in our culture today have no problem with that. That's teamwork. But in their culture, their time to be a trained general, to be the military leader of the land, to say, I'm not going to go without that woman coming with me, would have been a repulsive insult to God the Father. He's there. Uh, let me come down to Samson. Samson, the compliment is, is he served the judge of Israel for 20 years. Those of you who've read the, the Old Testament stories, can you be honest? You know one good thing that happened to Samson? Today we would refer to him as a sex addict. Every story that we have about Samson is one of sexual surrender. Not one statement. And here he is in the Hall of Fame. All right? Even to put a great man like King David, killer of Goliath, what do you know about him after he became king? Adulterer, murderer, and then one who didn't trust God enough that he had to count the people so that he would know the, the strength of his fighting force. We don't see great things. We see a reputation somewhat marred. Here's what's incredible. As we see the paintings of the New Testament and the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ, all of the sudden, we find that what God remembers is their service for the King of Kings. We find the service for the King of Kings is what's remembered. 
And what you and I have a tendency to do, judging all of our failures, our insecurities, uh, the times we don't measure up, uh, when, our, when our sin made us struggle, fail, and, and leave question as to our loyalty, those of us who know and love and follow Jesus Christ as Savior, what God remembers eternally is your service for the king. Those things that delight him and brought him honor and glory. And forgive me, but I find that really, really refreshing. Do any of you? God doesn't remember our skeleton closets. So I want you to remember that. I also want you to come, if you will, if you're there in your Bibles in chapter 12, just back ahead. Um, I, I told you some of the characters that exist in verse 32. I want you to just come on down to verse 35. And what I want you to see here is in this fullness of the witnesses. He praises the nameless saints that add up to our continued personal kingdom excitement. In verse 35, he parades those people that, if you will, are rejected by mankind. They were tortured. They were jailed. Whipped, mocked, stoned, sawn in two. That sawn in two might be the character of the prophet Isaiah. We're not certain because it, it, it says nowhere, but within the, the legendary history of Israel, that's the, the idea that he's the one that, that met with that ending. Martyrdom. Family, many lives were lived out as unknown refugees. I want you to see the, the, the phrase here that God has. God says, the world is not worthy to have their righteous testimony. The world's not worthy for them. They live their existence in caves, in lonely places, and embarrassment. The world is not worthy for them. I want you to understand, what do we learn from that? We learn that our world today, where we're excited to live today, the careers that we want to have today, the, the level of achievement we want to have today is not the important one. The important one is, where's your mark in eternity? Where's your mark in eternity? There are going to be many of us who live lives in insignificance. We weren't the, the achievers. We weren't the talented ones. We weren't the ones that made head. Uh, we're, the, we're the quiet people who just who simply do our life and, and serve. I want to suggest something to you. You're going to see men and women who were quiet servers, who served their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ under the radar. And they will be honored in heaven above those who were of down here. And you will see that as we get there. I can virtually guarantee it. So, understand where your achievement lies. Do you want to be satisfied with lifetime achievement? Or do you want to be satisfied with eternal 
achievement. You see, faith focuses on loyalty to the Lord, not the ability to fit in. So let me suggest to you, you might miss a promotion because HR held you accountable for sharing Christ in the office. And that complaint made it in. And that complaint sits on your record, marring how you're seen, perceived within the company. Where do you want your to be held? You might lose because their likes make it hard for you to keep a testimony. I want you to understand that incredible implication is that God is rewarding the unnoticed, the ignored, and the rejected down here. God is honoring your faith. Please consider it important. The faithful in the little, unnoticed, insignificant, unrewarded, even maligned efforts to serve Him and to let Him give it value in eternity are more important than anything you and I can achieve down here. Your brothers and sisters are even cheering you on to have kingdom value. Family, those are the people who are watching us in this race. But I also want you to understand, they're not just passive observers. They had the race in their day. So again, let us picture. The only time I watch this illustration is during the Olympics. But again, if you had a relay race, you know, all of you who watch, one runs carrying the baton, and everybody else, to some degree, is an observer right then. So if you will, Abel held the baton. No one was watching then but the Lord, and he ran with faithfulness, and he passed it on to his nameless family. And you and I know markers in history, Noah. We know markers in history, Moses and maybe Aaron and, and some of the, the Old Testament leaders, Joshua and Caleb. We may know them, but there were millions of nameless unknowns. But they ran with their, their baton, passing it on to the next generation. They got a chance to stay in the stadium. You carry the baton right And they're cheering for for kingdom life. What an incredible privilege it is to know that you are the world stage. So family, we now come to the second of these encouragements that are given to us. He says, these are the people watching you. Now you're, you're running. We want you to be aware of your efforts. And so he now gives us our first piece of advice, if you will. And I want you to see the weight that slows me down. 
you obviously understand, I am a gifted walker. I am not a runner. All right? I don't know why, but every once in a while, uh, my, <laughs> my computer reading will pop up these high-end, lightweight running shoes. Who are they kidding? I ain't never going to buy those. I don't even know how it makes up on, on my site. Or the lightweight running clothes. Forgive me, but can you see me in running shorts? Again, ruined the vision, didn't I? All right, you just look down and go, no, 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 no. You keep your sweatshirt on, Pastor Pete. Yep, yep, yep. Keep them long sweats on, Pastor Pete. Yeah, uh -huh. no problem. See, I'm a gifted walker. But if you really run, and you run competitively, you get on the most lightweight gear that you can. The Romans, they're gifted athletes. The Olympics uh, in their day, they would have ran naked. Nothing impaired them. Nothing impaired them. And so we have in our, our eyesight today that idea of lightweight run. We are going to run so that, that speed and efficiency is everything. And I want you to see what he says. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the two, inches, uh, the two issues that, show our, that slow our efficiency as runners, weight is first. Let us throw aside every weight. These are not sins. Family, these are just life that you and I can use correctly or incorrectly. And some may find that it's a singular thing, that you hold it correctly and somebody else doesn't, or vice versa. And what are some of those weights? Well, according to Scripture, your mate can be a weight that burdens your efficiency. Ephesians chapter 5 gives you the great purity of what marriage should be. A submissive wife partnering with a husband whose family goal is to bring holiness into the home. Purifying and sanctifying his wife is his standard of achievement. That picture is, is what is seen as to be the accomplishment of our homes. The husband lead with holiness and the desire for sanctification in himself, in his mate, and his children. And the wife is that loving partner. Um, how often is that ideal missed? So 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says it this way in verses 33 and 34. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. Singles who focus on kingdom work have no encumbrance. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife and his interests are divided. So family, we're told, watch the weight. It's a wonderful privilege to be married. It's an encouraging thing to be married. And yet at the same time, he looks down and says, hey singles, don't jump into this real quick. Be aware of the gifts that you've been given. You've been given the privilege of not focusing on something that may be a distraction. I know that that was a weight 
and a thought process that had to occur among my, my daughter, who at this time is still unmarried, but very thankful as she assessed her life situation that God has left her in this state, knowing some of the problems that her dearest friends have to struggle with on a daily basis. Our children can be a weight in our walk. Matthew 10 tells us that if they don't follow in our faith, if they don't embrace our walk, uh, it can lead to our own persecution. Um, and leaders in the church, one of the, the, the standards is that we rule or lead our house well. And the idea is, is whether leadership or anyone within the church, the, the concern is if we don't recognize these responsibilities to pass on the legacy of our faith from generation to generation, the blessing that children are designed to be can become a weight. Now, it is not our job to be successful. Let me quickly tell you that. All right? It is not our job to be successful. The Holy Spirit is the determiner. Your job is to be faithful. We can see that family can be a, a, a weight. We have one in the recognition that finances can be a weight. Acts chapter 4 gives us the idea that material possessions are ours to be invested in ministry, in kingdom world. So Barnabas saw a need in the church, and he sold his property for the satisfaction of that need. He gave because he saw the need. And I want to suggest to you it was even preemptive of any announcement that was given from the pulpit. He was that aware of needs that he could be that proactive in wanting to accomplish it. Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, I'm sorry, James chapter 2 tells us that the means to help another believer, if they are ours, we're expected to use them. Weight is our priorities and our vision. How is it utilized? So consequently, sports, food, internet, travel, even knitting can be a weight if in, in utilizing this privilege, our lives get minimized in their effectiveness, in their ability to live out kingdom life. The activity should always be evaluated concerning its impact on our kingdom purpose. So our first is weight. Our second limitation we, we see quite easily is sin. The author says at first, he's just pointing to sin in general. Sin has a tendency to cling to us, doesn't it? It is an ugly parasite that sticks to us 
like mistletoe to the oaks. It is so pervasive that we just end up accepting it as if it was a personality trait. How many times have you met someone who have an explosive temper, and what do you hear from that individual? Oh, it's just the way they are. They're Irish. Right? We just overlook it. All right? In a racist understanding, we would look at someone who's potentially wealthy or has a Jewish background and say, oh, well, they're all that way. Instead of recognizing materialism might be a weakness in the man's life, we just look down and, and lump it. And we can be terribly judgmental in that way. But sin is ugly. It is not a personality trait. It is something that our Savior died for, redeemed us from, and offered us freedom away from it. Not only can sin be part of our cultural awareness, there's also sin that seems to stick to you and others like you, and yet not stick to others not like you. Let's use our mistletoe for a moment. Mistletoe sticks to oak trees, but it doesn't stick to cedar, and it doesn't stick to pine, and it doesn't stick to madrone. You see it on oak. So you and I have to be aware in the same way that that ugly idea might stick to me, but not someone else. Family, some of us will struggle with materialism, lust, sexual insecurity, hatred, racism, anger, judgmental, unforgiving, drunkenness, divisive, be, divisive behavior, gossip. What might not be a problem to me is destroying you. What might be a problem to me is nothing to you. The problem is we're not committed to destroying the sin that clings. Family, I want to give you a, a popular quote that came from a sermon by John Piper. It says this, I fear that so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings and see little war in the effort. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war. If you don't, if you wonder how to make war, go to the manual. Scripture. Don't just bellyache about your, about your failures. Make war. Family, in other words, hate sin so much in you that you have to kill that sin as a parasite to your testimony or a confidence that you have in your salvation. That sin belittles your confidence. Make war against it. How 
do I make war against sin that I constantly am struggling with? Let me suggest to you some ways. First, confess the sinful parasite in you. Romans chapter 7, verse 19 says it this way, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Family, you have to be brutally honest with your own soul. I hate this. I despise this about me. And I confess it now, and I will get rid of it by God's grace. Confess them. If they're a private sin that no one else knows about, then you confess it to the Lord. If it is a public awareness, then I just find someone that you, you trust, that will keep a secret, and come to that person and say to them, I have this sin eating my soul. I Family, we're dealing with something that involves your eternal testimony and the confidence that you have in salvation itself. Don't jeopardize who you are. And if I can say it as strongly as I can, Jesus, people of the seeds, identified those who lost what they thought was their salvation because they were caught up in the weeds, the cares of this world, until they no longer identified. Confess the sinful parasite in you. Secondly, pronounce your deadness to the world. Listen to Romans 3, I'm sorry, 6, 3, 3 and 4 probably one of the most important verses for me personally. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so, you, so we too might walk in newness of life. So family, we're taught in Scripture that when we were dead in sin, we were alive to sin itself, but dead to any righteous behavior. When we accepted Christ as our Savior, we now are dead to sin, and we're alive in Christ, no longer at war with the Father, but free to be free righteously. So if you will, why would a dead guy have a problem with pornography? Why would a dead woman have a problem with gossip? You're dead. Understand your deadness and recognize its importance. For you and I to involve ourselves with any sin, it would be like accusing sinfulness 
to a corpse found in the death camp of the Nazis. You're alive in Christ. Confess. Proclaim. Third, realize all life is worship. Realize all life is worship. Here's one of the sad parts that I have. Too many of us go to a worship service Sunday morning so that we can turn our minds off and head to head, head lunch somewhere. So we can turn our minds off and head to the NFL. All right? That's not life as God writes the story. All right? Realize life is worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, family, every day, you're on the altar being burned up to the praise and the honor of the King of Kings every day. Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You see, when you realize all the merciful things that God did for you, making us alive in Him, giving us His righteousness, and killing sin's death in us, we don't worry about hell anymore. We don't worry about God's wrath anymore. We are at peace. When we realize that mercy, 24-hour worship is reasonable, isn't it? His mercy gave us His Holy Spirit to work and to change our hearts and minds from within so that our obedience to God might be natural and spontaneous. So family, understand, the moment that we close in prayer having celebrated communion today, you get to walk out in practical worship. Lastly, keep praying. So 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. Now, the simple truth of that is this. If, if you're asked today by the Holy Spirit to confront some sin in your own life, what I want to suggest to you is the pl this plan of attack. First, by your prayer, confess. Lord, I can't do this. I am caught in this. I am stuck in this. And pray. And let me tell you how it's probably going to be answered. You will make a prayer. And about ten minutes later, your mind will fail you. Pray without ceasing. Lord, I can't make it 10 minutes. Lord, please, I need to be overcome from this. I hate this. You get another 10 minutes. Pray without ceasing. I don't know how long this 10-minute routine will go for you. There are times for me personally it's gone on for days. All right? Anybody else who's applied this in their lives are sitting there smiling right now behind their mask. I can see their raised cheekbones. But here's what will happen is, is you'll end up going, 
wow, it's been three days since I've had that problem. My wife just looked down and said, honey, what's different about you? And I just ripped her head off just because she asked that. And then I went, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Can you confront my temper again? I just, I continue. And then something will happen and you'll go three days, four days, a month. Head with it again. Trust me. To pray without. And then I can't tell you when, but I can tell you. God will give you. Does it mean that the weight has gone, the, the sinful clinging? No, I can never promise you. You might struggle with this for the rest of your life. But its intensity, its constant failure, will go. Give to the Lord your weight. Give to the Lord things. Why? Family, we, we run a race. We run a race. And you and I are going to be passing it on to the next generation. One of the things that the next generation need to see is how it's done. They need the mentoring that your life does into theirs. And often, you'll be stuck with an answer as a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uh, mentor of any kind. Why do you do this? Because God expects it of me. Did you really want to do it in the deadness of your sin? No. But God transforms your God transforms your heart. And how important is it to see your submission to a Savior to the next generation? who receives the baton. We're being watched. We're encouraged to run with streamlined behavior. Next week, we get a chance to see how we finish our walk. And let's continue to honor the King in light of this encouraging and inspiring piece of Scripture. Father, I pray that, that you'd take us this morning. And as we come in now and celebrate communion, uh, Scripture here in 12 says, keep our eyes on Jesus. And so, dear God, what a great privilege we're reminded today that, that we can keep our eyesight on the Lord and do so in such a practical way. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.